blood, right? At the end of the Lord's Prayer, Matthew repeats a certain segment of the Lord's Prayer. And what does he repeat? He repeats the importance of forgiving your neighbor. He repeats the importance of forgiveness towards one another. So from that, we understand the significance of the Lord's Prayer. You know, there are so many points in the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, hello, did thy kingdom come, that will be done. There are so many significant points. But the most significant point that Matthew wants us to realize from the Lord's Prayer is the importance of forgiving one another. I was just sharing this with Waren, and then Waren brought up another interesting point, another interesting revelation that he recently had. You realize that this Lord's Prayer is impossible to pray individually. Why? Because it is not my Father in Heaven, it's our Father in Heaven. So technically, you cannot pray the Lord's Prayer individually, which also therefore reminds us of the significance of how we must forgive one another. The point of the Lord's Prayer is to be able to pray together. Amen. So that's a separate thing altogether. The point is here, the formatting of the literature of the text is important for us to discover what is important. Amen. Amen. <coughs> we started at 45, so I've got 20 minutes and 20 minutes okay. So now we're gonna uh, first look at the what happens before the child stones and we're gonna look at the before the crossing over, okay? So when we look at the before the crossing over, I wanna pull out um, three leadership lessons. Uh, for river crossing. Three leadership lessons for river crossing. So all of us now are charged up and you know we have this vision before us of the promised land, you know, taking ground, some of us for souls, some of us we are believing for growth in our cell group, some of us consecration or strength, whatever it is, right? We want to cross the river. We all have identified what is ahead of us and we all also identify that there are certain hurdles that we need to cross. So I want to teach you three leadership lessons for river crossing. Or you can also say three things you must know before you cross over. Okay? The first thing we identify is in chapter 3, verse 1 to verse 6. Now I want you to take a look. You don't need to read it out. But take a look at chapter 3, verse 1 to verse 6. What is happening over there? What is happening in chapter 3, verse 1 to verse 6? Now these instructions, um, maybe I can, since you are a smart group, right? Uh, what, what is the nature of these instructions? Yeah, you got it right, well done. You know, what, can, what are these instructions for? Preparation. Wow, very good. The first thing, right? <laughs> a leader's, right now, the number one thing to learn is a leader's preparation. A leader's preparation. A leader's preparation is crucial. That's his Chinese saying. Not quite. Um, preparation is like half the battle, kind of like. Um, yeah, maybe that's not exactly the correct. <laughs> but anyway, the point is the importance of preparation. Now, when you take a look further, verse 1 to verse 6, right? Now, there is a preparation here. But from your whole chapter 3, 
and chapter 4, you will see that for the first time in Joshua, not in the Bible, but in Joshua, what is made mention is the Ark of the Covenant. And the moment it is mentioned, right, it is repeatedly mentioned. It is mentioned a total of 17 times, the Ark of the Covenant. If you look at my Bible, chapter 3 is here, and then chapter 4 is all the way here, right? So chapter 3 to chapter 4. All the red color underlines are the Ark of the Covenant. So that is how often it is mentioned, 17 times. And that is how um, spread out. It's not like it's all mentioned in one corner. It's like constantly referred to throughout the river crossing, right? So it tells us of the central role or the centrality of the Ark of the Covenant in our river crossing. Now the Ark of the Covenant represents the exactly the presence of God. So the importance of the presence of God right, is something that we cannot lose when we do our ministry. That we must find ourselves, as Sally so rightly pointed out, right, close in prayer, in devotion, in our in in the presence of God. Presence of God is We cannot lose sight of the Ark of the Covenant. Just like how they, they couldn't lose sight of the Ark of the Covenant. We cannot lose sight of the presence of God no matter in every single step of the way. And we notice that it's peppered throughout. What does that mean? It means that the presence of God wants to and is there to meet us at every turn. Everywhere we go, right, the presence of God wants to interrupt, wants to intervene, wants to be there. But sometimes we ignore it. But we recognize here that the presence of God wants to meet us at every turn. And we also learn another thing about the central role that our covenant mentioned so many times. That it is at the end of the day, all, it is God Himself who leads us across the river. Yeah. It is He, is God Himself who stops the river with His hand. The whole affair is a feat of God. We are just His workers. We are just His vessels that He fills. We are just His servants. Amen? Amen. Now, if we look at verse 3 to verse 4 and verse 5, we see the details of this preparation. Verse 3 to 4, if you notice, it's kind of like one kind of preparation where there is like, you're supposed to stand here, stand there, you're supposed to, and then there's a specific distances. And then verse 5 is kind of like, purify yourselves for tomorrow the Lord will do great wonders among you. They are both preparation, but they are different. In our preparation for God's work, for God to move, right? It is not just about our action, but our attitude that is of concern. When we prepare ourselves, it is not just about our actions, but, about, but, but it is also about our attitudes. So this preparation here involves very importantly a preparation of our hearts. A preparation of our hearts. Now this is an example that happens again and again. This pattern happens again and again throughout the Bible. You can just write down the references. In Exodus 19, verse 10, verse 14 and verse 22. In Exodus 19, verse 10, 14 and 22, we see the giving of the Ten Commandments. But before the giving of the Ten Commandments, God tells Moses to tell the people to purify themselves, to go on a fast, to refrain from sexual relations, to prepare their hearts for the receiving of the Ten Commandments, for a revelation that they have never received before. You see another of such an example in Numbers chapter 11 and verse 18, where 
this time the children of Israel were in the wilderness. They needed mana, they needed food, right? And but before God moves in a way He has never moved before, you know, throwing KFC from the heavens, right? We see He tells Moses, He tells His people, go purify yourself, consecrate yourself, you know, uh, refrain from sexual relations and stuff like that. Before the mana and the quail meat fell from heaven, right? And then the third example is in 1 Samuel chapter 16 and verse 5. Now this may be uh, even more uh, close to us because this is about David anointed as king. So before you and I can be anointed south leaders or leaders of our people, right? We see the same thing. Prophet Samuel came to the house of Jesse, David's father, and told Jesse and all his sons, including David, to go and purify themselves. So before God comes, before God works, before God moves in our life and in His people, there must be a preparation. We must be prepared. If we are not prepared, we will miss it. Whenever God was to reveal Himself, listen carefully, whenever God was to reveal Himself in a special way, it requires and demanded a special preparation. It demanded a special preparation. Can you keep up with the typing? Yes. Can I? Okay. So I want you to write this down. Your step up. Sorry, I'm going to repeat myself. I took a lot of time to write, to prepare this. <laughs> so I want you to write this down. Your setup secures your step up. Wow. Your setup secures your step up. And if you don't set up for a step up, you will end up with a slip up. Wow. I'm very proud of myself. Uh, yeah. <laughs> if you don't set up for a step up, you will end up with a slip up. You will slip up in your walk with the Lord, in what He has prepared for you, if you don't set up for a proper step up. Okay? So, if we don't set up, in other words, if we don't prepare our hearts, we will miss the step up. And if we miss the step up, it means that we will end up losing out on what God wants to have for us. We will end up with a slip up, right? So the question is, why all this fuss over the preparation? Because without proper preparation, and preparation we now know it means like consecration, a confession, a, a conditioning of our hearts. If we don't have proper preparation, we fail to recognize, we fail to receive the revelation of God's work. So we could very possibly see God work right before our eyes, but yet still miss it. But yet still miss out on the significance and the true value of the hand of God in our lives. Case in point, the children of Israel. Mana from heavens, water from the rock, but still complain. God was already working, but they missed it. Because they were they didn't come with bad hearts. So if we don't set up for a step up, we will end up with a slip up. God could be moving, but we simply will be missing out on it. So the question for all of us is do you prepare your heart? Do you prepare your heart? We must prepare our hearts and keep our hearts prepared, mailable, soft, guarded every single step of the way if we want to keep this centrality of the Ark of the Covenant if we want to keep the presence of God in mind we must always come with a prepared heart ready to sense the presence of God ready to hear from God at every turn because God is there to speak to us touch us His presence is there for us every single step of the way but we don't sense it sometimes because we're not prepared for it 
right? So, do you prepare your heart for the practice of the Sabbath? Do you prepare your heart for the practice of the service? Do you practice? Do you prepare your heart for the practice of the leaders' Sabbath meeting on Tuesdays? Do you prepare your heart for the practice of your own Sabbath meetings? Because it's very easy for us as leaders, connected leaders alike, right? To go to Sabbath meetings and think to ourselves, you're there to serve, you're there to minister, you're not there to receive, you're there to give. Yeah, 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 great. But it is also important for you to recognize that you can receive. That there is something that God has for you every yeah. single step of the way. Yeah. But the reason you don't receive it is because you don't prepare to receive anything. You're not expectant for anything. When you come for these Bible studies, are you prepared in your heart to receive something? You see, if we go about our everyday life, our Sabbath meetings, our service, and we think to ourselves, we're just here to give, that is completely concocted by our wisdom, by our strength when we minister to our people, then we tend to become unimpressed. Right? And if we are not impressed by God every single day, every moment of our lives, if ever we come to a place where we are meh, where we become blasé, you know, where we become not impressed, we are really saying that we are not impressed by God. And if we are not impressed by God, by our everyday things, is it, maybe it's not because God is not doing anything impressive. Maybe it's because we've not prepared our hearts to witness what God has been doing. So we must guard our hearts and we must constantly check our hearts. And especially as we become more and more familiar as leaders about the things of the kingdom, we know the ins and outs of the way the church works. We know how to owe the presence of God. We know how to lead the people in praise and worship. We know this is the time where the presence of God. Then we You know, we become so used. We it's almost as if. Bringing the presence of God into our meetings is formulaic. It's almost as if we, we know. But we cannot be like that. We must check our heart. We must guard our heart. We must always be soft and prepared for God to move in a new way. If not, God will only be limited to moving in the way you think He can move. But for God to do a new move, you must be prepared and allow God to move in a new way. That's why we must prepare our hearts for anything. <laughs> Anything that God wants us to do. You know what I mean? I want to share with you an example. I, I shared with other people in other classes another kind of example about how pastor sermons and stuff like that, but I don't have time for that. I want to share with you say another example about on Thursday night Sabbath meeting. I had a worship night. And then I said, say my Lord, the Lord was giving me a vision of a deer jumping around. And so I began to say that, you know, it's a deer jumping around. It's like God, as you worship God, you know, God is giving. Okay, before that, there was another verse that the Lord gave, which I spoke about how uh, songs of deliverance, sing O Baron, that as we sing new melodies, that there will be a new freedom. And then I saw this picture of a deer, and then I said, there's a deer. And then I, I told them that, uh, oh, yes, there is this um, verse that says, you know, deer jumping out, there's this freedom and leaping. So as I said that, I, I felt in my heart that the Lord wanted me to just stand up and move around, like almost like twirl and jump around in the south meeting. And so I decided to obey God. I did that by myself. And I don't know, they maybe thought I was crazy. And so, to prevent that, I, I said to them, if you want her freedom, you also said, of course I didn't, alright? I, I felt in my heart that that was what the Lord want, wanted us to do. So I said to them, and so one by one they started to come up and so we were like crazy lunatics you know these are young adults these are not youth these are you know former come from work kind but everybody was and I felt that that was such a freedom but 
unless we prepare our hearts for God to move in new ways, like God will not move in new ways. Not because He doesn't want to, but because He cannot. Yeah. Amen? Amen. Amen. So write it down. The preparation of your heart precedes the revelation of His heart. The preparation of your heart precedes the revelation of His heart. And importantly, when you prepare your heart, you will receive a revelation of His heart. And when you receive a revelation of His heart, what do you really receive? Uh, no, not, not quite. When you receive revelation, what do you get? What does revelation build in you? Exactly. So I want you to write down, a leader's preparation comma is for faith. A leader's preparation is for faith. So point one is not just a leader's preparation. Point one is a leader's preparation is for faith. Because faith is a product of the heart. The reason why we don't have faith is because we did not prepare our hearts for faith to arise. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. But it's not a hearing here, you know. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. But unless the word of God right, can enter our hearts, it will not bring out faith. If our word of God enters our ears and into our heads, it doesn't bring any kind of faith. It must enter our ears, in our heads, and get down into our hearts. Because faith is only produced from the heart. It's not, faith is not a production of the mind. Faith is a product of the heart. It must come from the heart. Amen? Amen. The second thing I want us to know about the river crossing <coughs> is in chapter 3, verse 7 to verse 8. Chapter 3, verse 7 to verse 8. And chapter 4, verse 14. So these two passages, chapter 3, verse 7 to verse 8. And chapter 4 and verse uh, 14. Let's hear verse 7 to verse 8. Verse 7 to verse 8, and the Lord said to Joshua, and the Lord said to Joshua, This day I will begin to exhort you to the side of all Israel, that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. You shall command the priest to bear the ark of the covenant, saying, When you have come to the edge of the water of the Jordan, you shall stand in the Jordan. Amen. And verse 14, On that day the Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of all Israel, and they feared him as they feared Moses all the days of his life. Amen. So we see here a God who is true to his word. First he promises that I will make you a great leader, and then verse 14, the Lord makes him a great leader. Right? So God is true to his word. He's a God who doesn't just give vision as in verse 7 and 8, he was also the one that gives provision in verse 14 of chapter 4. So given the context of the crisis that we remember in chapter 1, right? It is crucial because of the death of Moses. It is crucial for two things. It is crucial that Joshua feels secure. Right? We understand that he is a bit insecure, right? So firstly, it's crucial for Joshua to feel secure. And secondly, it is important for the Israelites to feel confident of Joshua's leadership. It's kind of like for you, right? It is important for you as a leader to feel secure as you embark on whatever new great move that the Lord has in your life. We spoke about this, confessing this great vision last week, right? Like declaring to your members, multiplication. Do you remember that? Yeah. yeah? And so it, it make it, you need to feel secure. And secondly, your people 
need to feel confident that you are able to lead them to where you say God is leading them to. And so, with these two things in mind, I want you to notice that from these few passages that we are reading, that the security of God's servant, your security, and the confidence of of the congregation or the confidence of your cell group or your connect group is completely supernatural. It is completely God-given. Your security is God-given and the confidence of the people is also God-given. In other words, it is by faith through grace. It is not manufactured. It is not man-made. So the second point I want us to notice the second leadership lesson about river crossing is this. A leader's promotion is by faith. A leader's promotion is by faith. It is not something that you can do by your own strength. It is completely dependent on God. If you want to be promoted, and I don't just mean to be promoted to be a cell group leader. You guys are already cell group leaders, but to be promoted into this new level of leadership that you are believing for, not just for yourself, but for your cell group. Promoted into the new vision, to the new promised land that the Lord has for you, right? If you want to be promoted, it is all going to be by faith through yeah. grace. Yeah. It is not something you can manufacture. The sense of security is not something you can manufacture. The confidence that you want your people to have in you is not going to be by your persuasive words. It is going to be by the grace of God. I mean, through the grace of God, by your faith in God. See, God has great dreams for each and every one of you and great plans and things He wants to do through each and every one of you. But for that to happen, right, God knows that you need your people to be with you in this. God knows that the great plan He has that He wants to do through you is not going to be possible by you alone. He knows that you need the team and He needs and He knows that you need all these people to be with you all the way. Therefore, God is more than willing and more than ready to place His stamp of approval, His seal on you like He did for Joshua by also for you like He did for Joshua stopping the river on your behalf. So that is how he placed his seal of approval for Joshua. Because he did that, the people's confidence arose. Because he did that, Joshua's confidence arose. That God is here to put his stamp of approval on me. That, you know, God is moving on my behalf. This is something that you cannot DIY. That is why it is so important that you give yourself to the move of God in the supernatural. You give yourself to the prophetic ministry. When you prophesy and you speak over someone's life and you say to them something that, you know, wow, how did you know? that And you minister to them in a way that only, it must be God. It is a river-stopping moment for them. It inspires confidence in them and it inspires confidence in yourself. When I prophesy over people like you heard last night, Ting En was sharing this and that. I had no idea. I don't really talk to Ting En even, right? But who knew? Who knew? And so with that, immediately confidence is inspired in him. You see, he's so encouraged by it, you know. One of the most powerful things about prophecy, right? It's not so much any impartation of power or, or, or anything. But it's one of the most powerful things about prophecy is the encouragement it gives. The fellow knows, oh my God, God knows me. And he did it to the man of God. 
immediately think one has confidence in me. Similarly for you, you must move in the supernatural gifts, in the prophetic ministry, in signs and wonders, if you want to, I mean, so that people can see the seal, the hand of God moving through you and in you. Are you with me? Yeah. Number three, the third important lesson that I want us all uh, to learn, right, is in chapter 3, verse 9 to verse 13. Verse 9 to verse 13. Now, um, let's read 9 to 13. <coughs> 9. So Joshua said to the children of Israel, Come here and hear the words of the Lord your God. Then, and Joshua said, By this you shall know that the living God is among you, and that he will, he will without fear drive out the before, before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, and the Hivites, and the Perizzites, and the Geshites, and the Amorites, and the Jebusites. Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth is crossing over before you into the Jordan. Verse 12. Now therefore take for yourself twelve men from the tribes of Israel, one man from every tribe. Verse 13. And it shall come to pass as soon as the souls of the feet of the priests prepare the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth shall rest in the waters of the Jordan. Then the waters of the Jordan shall be cut off, the waters that come down from upstream and they shall stand as a peak. Amen. Verse 9 says, Joshua tells, Come and listen to what the Lord your God says. And then verse 10 it says, Today you will know that the living God is among you. Or, the New King James Version makes it clearer. It says, By this you will know that the living God is among you. So, by what? What is this? Huh? What? No. By this you will know. Huh? Yeah, the river stopping, right? So the this that he's referring to is the river stopping. Now, this is a very common uh, practice called the reasoning of faith. By this, you will know that. So by the river stopping, you will know in verse 10 that God will surely drive out all your enemies. The Hittites, Gagashites, Perkasites, so on and so forth, right? This is known as the reasoning of faith. So in verse 9 it says, Come and listen to this reason of faith. By this, God, we can trust that God can do that. If God can split a river, He can you know, defeat your enemies. If God can stop a river, He can defeat And this same reasoning of faith is what, have, is what is used also in the New Testament in Romans chapter 8, verse 32 by Paul. Paul used this by saying that if God will not even spare His own Son, what more will He not give you? Right? So this is the same reasoning of faith that Paul used in the New Testament. And in Exodus chapter 16, this is also the same reasoning of faith that the Israelites' forefathers failed to use. The forefathers, the children of Israel's grandfathers and all, they failed to use this reasoning of faith in the wilderness. They had experienced the Red Sea. They could have said, if God can split the Red Sea, He can bring us into the promised land. But they failed to use that. Why? They were more mindful of their present circumstance. Write this down. Faith knows of the future what fear knows of the present. Faith knows of the future what fear knows of the present. So this reasoning of faith allows us to see the future even though it has not happened. 
if we do not have this faith, but instead have fear, like the Israelites in the wilderness, then we will only know the present circumstance. We will have no idea about the future. But faith knows of the future. What fear only seems to know of the present. Amen? Amen. And the Joshua generation were, gonna, were determined to learn from their father's and forefathers' mistake. They were, be, they were going to be sure to use this reasoning of faith. So the third thing I want us to know as we cross the river as leaders, right, is that a leader's position, a leader's position is of faith. A leader's position is of faith. A leader's position is of faith. So whenever we cross the river, right, we must always come from a position of faith. We notice now the, cruci- the crucial ingredient of faith in a leader's life. Faith is crucial if we want to enter and we will see, take, possess and retain the land. Faith will continue to be a crucial element in our leadership. Amen? So the Red Sea, the Jordan River, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. These are all hallmark stories in the Bible. They are all explosions of God's power that are meant to color our lenses when we see the world. They are meant to color it with the color of faith so that when we see the world, we see the world through the eyes of faith. We must repent and renounce the tendency to punify God and carve Him down to the size of our problems but instead allow God to carve our problems down to up, down in size, to allow Him to be larger than our problems. Amen? Amen. So, same with me, a leader's preparation? A leader's preparation is for faith. Is for faith. A leader's promotion? A leader's promotion is by faith. Is by faith. And a leader's position? A leader's position is of faith. Is of faith. <laughs> okay, see the volume like go down. Too loud, right? Amen. So that is the first thing I want us to know before we cross the river. Now we're going to take a look at the main part, the 12 stones. Now, from the 12 stones, oh, and the, okay, sorry, I'm going to, let's see, how am I going to do this? Um, okay. I want to talk to you now about two of God's methods. Two of God's methods. Okay? And we get two of God's methods from the crossing from both the story of the twelve stones as well as the actual crossing of the river. Can you see? Okay? But first, so first, right, I want us to look at the, the crossing over for the first method. Then the child stones will give us the second method. Okay? So we want to understand the, the methods of his ways or the methods of God or two ways in which God works. The first way in which God, God works, right, we see in the actual river crossing. So in chapter 3, verse 14 to 17 and chapter 4, verse 10 to verse 14. Alright? Over here. So from this two, we see the first one of his methods. So what does it say in verse 15? Oh. It was the half a season and the Jordan was almost moving on its banks. 
but as soon as the feet of the priest were carrying the ark touched the water at the river's edge, the water above the point became beckoning a great distance away at the house of Adam, which is near Zaratan. And the water began below that point flowed water to the Dead Sea until the river bit. No, no, just, just 15. Yeah, just 15. So it says here, it was harvest season and the Jordan was overflowing its banks. But as soon as the feet of the priests who were carrying a touch of water at the river's edge, right? So in the New King James Version, which some of your versions are, you have something in brackets. Do you have that? Yeah. What do you have in brackets? For the Jordan overflows all its banks during yeah. the whole time of Parenthesis Parenthesis is supposed to indicate like lesser importance, right? But my version in the New Living Translation, which is the version I prefer, doesn't have that in brackets because it is not something insignificant. This report of the river conditions is not something insignificant. It is something significant. The bad timing that it seems to indicate, you know, raging torrents, overflowing the river banks, is crucial for us to understand because it helps us appreciate the significance of the miracle. You see, the question is, when did God lead Israel through the Jordan River? He led them through the Jordan River precisely when such a feat was humanly impossible. This is the tendency of his methods. This is the tendency of his ways. He likes to show his might in the face of our utter hopelessness and our utter helplessness so that we cannot help but see that we contribute nothing to our deliverance. To teach us, as Psalms 1 to 1 verse 2 tells us, where does our help come from? Our help comes from the Lord. This is the tendency of His ways. This is His first method, which is a method that teaches us write it down, dependence. So we recognize that there's a certain madness in his method, right? That why, why so crazy, you know? Why does he want to choose the worst possible time to bring us through the river? There's a certain madness about his method. But we also recognize that there's a certain method in his madness. And the method in his madness is this, that while we want perfect conditions, God wants complete dependence. For us, our motivation is we want perfect conditions, but God wants complete dependence. You see, isn't it so? We want to have the best kind of situation, the best kind of circumstance. We want to you know, have the best kind of perfect conditions. But God is not interested in that at all. He, he like almost have a head care attitude to conditions, right? He simply wants our complete dependence. So our conditions could be perfect and could be imperfect. It doesn't matter. As long as God sees that it's a complete dependence, the earlier you have a complete and utter dependence on Him, the better you, it will be for you, right? So in a sense, if you want perfect conditions, you just find yourself in a quick, complete dependence on Him. The faster and the earlier you can be in complete dependence on Him, the faster it is, your conditions may seem perfect, right? So again, we want perfect conditions, but God wants complete dependence. Amen? The second thing I want us to note, which is kind of like the main thing of this whole lesson, right? 
if you get nothing from this lesson, I want you to get this. And if there's nothing you teach your people, I want you to teach your people this. So the chapter one, you must teach them to your generation. Chapter two, you must teach them win the loss of any cost. Chapter three and four, you must teach them this point. Okay, this is the main point. Chapter four, verse one to verse 10, we see the story of the stones. And then we see it repeated in verse 21 to verse 24 by Joshua as he preaches the main point, right? Now, what are the story of the stones for? What are the 12 stones for? What's the purpose of the 12 stones? Yeah, it's for remembrance. The story of the 12 stones is for the remembrance of God's hand or God's work in three areas. When we remember God's work or God's hand, we remember firstly, His goodness, which refers to His mercy and His grace. That He's a good God, that He wants to do good things for us. Secondly, the stones remind us of the work of God and He reminds us of His greatness. In other words, the power of God, that He is able to stop even the strongest of labor, right? That's what the child stones represent. His goodness, His greatness, and it represents, thirdly, His glory. Which reminds us, when we remember His glory, to fear God, to obey God, to submit to God. So the remembrance that the child stones bring is of His goodness, His greatness, and His glory. Now, the crossing over is a major thing, yes? But it is just one thing. Just as important to that is the remembrance of the crossover. The crossover is one thing, but the remembrance of the crossover is another. So for us, you know, Loud Camp 2016 is one thing, but the remembrance of Loud Camp 2016 is another. Audio mod is one thing, and we usually think that that's it. We have a great achievement, done, finish it, you know, and we leave it behind us. No. The crossover is one thing, but the remembrance of the crossover is another thing. You must remember the crossover. For us as the other church, we must remember that some crossover to the other side. That there has been a great revival that God has done before in our lives. The point of chapter 4, verse 1 to verse 10, the lesson that he wants us to learn is that the greatest enemy of our faith, the greatest enemy of faith is forgetfulness. The greatest enemy of faith is forgetfulness. It is not fear. It is not the size of the problem, the lack of ability. The greatest enemy we have of our faith is our forgetfulness. If we think about it as in terms of a marriage, right? A husband and a wife. We think that what ruined the marriage is the husband's infidelity. The husband committing adultery. But that's not the reason why the marriage was broken. The marriage was broken because the husband forgot about the sacredness of the vows he made, the preciousness of his wife. Is when he forgets that, that begins the end of the relationship. Similarly, it's when we forget about the goodness of God, the greatness of God, the glory of God, that our faith that we have been talking so much about disappears. Amen? So, it is not just about uh, 
the event itself. It's not just about the crossover. It is important for us to remember the crossover. But I've not come to the main point yet. There's something else that we notice that the story of the Charles Stones tells us in verse 7. What does verse 7 say? Then you shall answer them that the waters of the Jordan will cut off for the Ark of the Covenant. When it crossed over, when it crossed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan will When it crossed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan will cut off. And these stones shall be for a memorial to the children of Israel forever. Amen. So Apart from just remember, apart from just crossing over for themselves, and secondly, apart from just remembering for themselves, verse seven tells us the crucial importance of of them having to teach their children, to teach the next generation to remember as well. And that is my main point. Why does God insist that Israel remembers this day? I mean. He has done many things, but why does God ask them to build child stones and remember this day? Because the answer is because this raw power, this unusual miracle, wasn't going to be something that's going to happen on a weekly basis. If God was going to do this river stopping on a weekly basis, we don't need to build child stones to remember that because we can see every other week. But the thing is, this wasn't going to be frequent anymore. This wasn't going to be something that God was going to do again and again. So how does God want His people to remember His goodness, His greatness, His glory? It is not by repeating dazzling, frequent, massive miracles. The method that God uses to ensure that His people retain their faith, faithfulness and fidelity to Him is not by frequent repeating of miracles but by the faithful retelling of the acts that he had already demonstrated in other words his method is discipleship his method is by discipleship one generates one generation retelling to the next one generation imparting to the next one generation exhorting the next to fear God, to remember the greatness of God, to recognize the goodness of God. And this is the method that the church meets today as well. We have that practice in our Holy Communion. We remember Jesus' death and resurrection by the Holy Communion. But this is the same thing that we must do in our own cell groups, in our zone. This is the method in which God wants the next generation and for all of us to be of faith and, be, and to be faithful by discipleship, by one generation telling the next. Every river cross must be remembered and retold. Every river cross must be remembered and retold. Every revival must be remembered and retold. Every resurrection must be remembered and retold. So, I am kind of like Joshua here. The Joshua generation is interesting. The Joshua generation is a generation. But Joshua doesn't quite belong to the Joshua generation. Joshua was around since Moses. So he is the only one that spanned both generations. 
I feel like I'm like a, a Joshua. You know, I have been around, I'm older, I've been around, and I've seen old Hollywood days in stuff that you've never seen before. I'm kind of like your Joshua. It's my job to disciple. It's my job to tell you the stories that I have been telling you for chapter one, for chapter three, for chapter four. It is your job to retell the stories I tell you to your people, to bring your people up to a place where they can see themselves as part of a same generation of people that split the seas, that were free from Egypt. That what God has done for the Moses generation is not what God has done for the Moses generation, but it's what God has done for all of us. You see, the children of Israel, they cannot see themselves as we are the Joshua generation. Yes, they should, but they should also identify themselves as Israelites. That means even way back from Egypt, they must see that this God is the God of all Israel across time. Same for us. We cannot just see ourselves, oh, we are the next. That's it. Yes, it's important for us, but it's important for us to identify as City Harvest Church right from the get-go. So it brings our people up to this mindset of destiny that we truly identify that we are the generation of young people that will take the nations by storm. It is not just a vision given to our forefathers, but it is a vision given to us all. We must disciple our people. We must retell the river crossings that has happened. Amen? Amen. So I want to close with 21 to 24. When Joshua preaches here and kind of like sums it all up, he basically is saying God has done it again. You know, he was there to see the Red Sea and now he's here to tell everybody, look, what God has done for your forefathers which you've not seen at the Red Sea, God has done for you again in the Jordan River. God is a crossover God. But not just that, he tells them, we must remember. But not just that, he tells them, we must remember to retell. Why do we need to retell? So that others might submit to the sway of his ways so that others may submit to the sway of his ways. Who is a disciple? A disciple is simply someone who submits to the sway of Yahweh. A disciple is simply someone who submits to the sway of his ways. That is who a disciple is. And so what is discipleship supposed to achieve? It is supposed to bring others into submission of of God's ways. How do we do that? by retelling the story, by discipleship. Yes, yes, there can be disciples that will be formed via miracles that God does for them. Yes, of course, we will submit to God and we do submit to God because of God moving in our lives in a miraculous river-stopping way. Yes, yes. But that is not God's primary method. God's primary method is 12 stones. God's primary method is you remembering and retelling the story to your children. As we shall see in the rest of the book of Joshua. That this must continue to happen. Amen. And everybody said? Amen. 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 So let's just close in a word of uh, prayer. Why not Joel, you, you, you close us in a word of prayer? Jesus, I'd like to thank you for this time that you've given us yes, so God. that we're able to hear the word of God. Jesus, I thank you and I pray that the word will be sown into good ground. And yes, God. Will, will 
spring out and bear fruits, God. Yes. So we will apply the word, we will be doers of the word. The yes, word Lord. Be the, the person who will, who will carry this word on to, all, to tell our members or them truly be disciples, to make disciples of you. Yes, God. So, Jesus, I to pray and thank you for this time. I pray that you will really, this word will be sown deep into our spirit, Lord, that we truly be able to act upon. Amen. 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 So, I think I and I and I'm, I'm just so amazed that I mean, and this is the reason why 